Welcome back and thank you for joining us in our series on the book of Joshua, specifically with that theme of stand strong. Now today we're going to be looking at chapters 5 through 9. That's a lot to cover. We're going to focus in on another pattern that we find in there. There's a pattern of faithfulness and there's a pattern of disobedience and the results of both of those things. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 13. Joshua 7, 13. And if you don't know where the book of Joshua is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Joshua chapter 7, verse 13. Here's what it says. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord the, the God of Israel says, There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you are God and we are not, and that as we look into your word, and as we actually dive deeper into it, we find that there are patterns and principles and truths and commands, all of these things that are intended for us to follow, to understand, to learn, uh, and I pray, Jesus, that as we are learning about faithfulness and disobedience today, that we will be able to take away something into our own lives so that we can live more victoriously for you. In your name I pray. Amen. So, I don't know how many of you remember the game Follow the Leader. I remember playing Follow the Leader, but I actually don't remember how to play, if that makes any sense at all. So I did the same thing that any normal human being would do. I Googled it. <laughs> and in Googling it, uh, this is what I found. Uh, one player, the leader, begins moving around with actions uh, that the rest of the players must mimic. Anything, including wildly flaming their, flailing their hands all over the place, or running, or skipping, or whatever it is, we then, if we're following that leader, are required to do. We do what the leader does, and everybody else, of course, along with us, must follow. And those players who disobey or lag behind uh, the leader's motions are then out of the game. And so the person last standing becomes the new leader. So there's a principle involved in this game, and the principle would be this. Observe closely and mimic the leader's exact actions in order to enter the winner's circle. And it's a fun game for kids, and you know what, if we're honest, this probably can be a fun game for adults too. Uh, there is this great object lesson uh, for faith in life that we can garner from that particular game. And the, it would be this. The battle is won when you follow the right one. We all have battles that we face in life. Now, most of these battles we face have to do with things in our lives that need to be altered. And so if we follow the right leader with the right plan, we're assured of victory in that particular area of life. So here's the thing. If we get this, if we understand this, if we apply this, then we're more likely going to have some confidence in facing the battles that we have 
in life. We won't have to be insecure with life's outcomes. And also, I would suggest to you that we're going to have a vibrant faith experience and sense the presence of God in our lives on a regular basis. When we live outside of this principle, well, then we're kind of overwhelmed by life and defeated. And this is why many repeat mistakes and live with the insecurities of the future and are just plain exhausted. And as we look at Israel, and as we're trying to understand these patterns in the life of Israel through the book of Joshua, we find that we come to a place where they're about to encounter Jericho. And Jericho has these giant walls. Uh, This was the first conquest of the Israelites as they set out to win this land of Canaan. Now, this is a critically important juncture in the time of Israel. And the reason is that Israel is faced with the reality that without God's involvement, they would never be able to take the land of Canaan. Jericho is known as one of the oldest cities in the world. In Joshua's day, it was surrounded by a system of two massive stone walls. Now, these walls were absolutely incredible. They were the outer wall. So the wall closest to you as you're coming close to Jericho is six feet thick. Now, for those of you who are a little unsure as to how thick six feet is, it's two meter sticks. And it's about 20 feet tall. So that's like two basketball rims high. The inner wall, right? So you had this outer wall that was six feet thick and 20 feet tall. You had an inner wall that was 12 feet thick and it was 30 feet tall. And then between the walls was a guarded walkway that was about 15 feet wide. And to give you uh, an indication, that would be like a little bit more than one lane of traffic on a road. So this is a really, really significantly strong walled city. Now, it wasn't necessarily a large city, but it was an incredibly well-fortified city. And Israel's problem was that they had come to this city to conquer that seemingly had impossible walls to overcome. You hear that? They had something that they had to conquer that had some seemingly impossible walls to overcome. I want to suggest to you that the Victory victory is the fruit of obedience and complete trust. Here's what I mean. Uh, Joshua and Israel, we find, are faithful when they're encountering Jericho. Uh, God had a strange plan for Jericho. Uh, This is not a plan that any particular modern-day military leader would enact. He told Joshua to have the armed men march around the city once each day for six days. That's all they did. March around the city each day. For six days, the armed men, which meant the rest of Israel wasn't marching around. They were just there. And then the priests were to carry the ark, blowing trumpets, but the soldiers were to remain silent. So I want you to picture this. You're standing on the wall of Jericho. You're looking down. You're seeing this military force there. You've got those who were armed and those who were carrying trumpets to blow. And then there were those who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And in that, all you're seeing is them doing laps around your city. Doesn't look all that intimidating. And yet there was fearfulness on the part of Jericho towards Israel, which is why they locked the gates. On the seventh day, The assembly marched around the walls of Jericho seven times. Joshua told them that by God's order, 
Every living thing in the city must be destroyed except for Rahab and her family. Now, a lot of people come up to a passage like this and say, like, everything is to be destroyed. Every man, woman, child, ox, goat, sheep, everything is to be destroyed. You need to understand that, that the scriptures often speak in, in a language called hyperbole. And we know that to be true because a little bit later on, we certainly find that there are still people of Jericho that were left living. And, and so it's hyperbole, which basically what he's suggesting here is that there needs to be an absolute, without question, a win. Now, there can be no doubt that it was such a dominating win that God had to have been present in it. So it's not an eradication necessarily of the people. The, uh, there's hyperbole that you'll find in the scriptures as well. All the articles of silver, gold, bronze, and iron were to be put into the Lord's treasury. And so what we find then is that at Joshua's command, uh, the men give this great shout, the walls of Jericho come falling down absolutely flat. The Israelite army rushes in, they conquer the city, and only Rahab and her family were spared according to the scriptures. And it is this incredibly brilliant story of God's power overwhelming man's power. Man's power was resting in these incredibly well-fortified walls. God says, blow trumpets, march, and shout, and these walls are going to come tumbling down. And that's, in fact, what actually happened. And so then even like the fact that God's power was present could be undeniable, which is why so many people in the land of Canaan feared the God of Israel. Now, there's something that's interesting that takes place in this story as well that we see later on, actually, in 1 Kings. Joshua, after tearing down uh, Jericho and absolutely conquering it, he goes and he curses Jericho's future rebuilding. He actually says this in Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. Uh, God, uh, sorry, Joshua pronounced this oath saying, Cursed before the Lord is be anyone who tries to rebuild this city, this Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest, he shall set up its gates. Now, what I find interesting about this is that we actually see this happen. In 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, here's what it says. In Ahab's time, Hael of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. Listen to this. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn, Abraham, and he set up his gates at the cost of his youngest son, Zagum, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Huh. That's pretty cool. I mean, not that people pass away, but pretty cool that, that this statement was made, this curse was pronounced, and we see it enacted, and it just says something. It says that the importance of the fall of Jericho would not be forgotten. The importance of the fall of Jericho would not be forgotten. The mighty walls of Jericho were not able to withstand the power and presence of God. And so what we find then is that victory is the fruit of obedience and complete trust. Look, think about this. Imagine you're in a military and, and your commanding officer says to you, okay, guys, here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. We're going to march around this city blowing trumpets. It's going to be important. On the seventh day, we're going to march around the city seven times. We're going to blow the trumpets. And all you military guys out here, you're carrying all your weapons, want you to shout. And what's going to happen is those walls, they're just going to fall down. 
That is not something that we would expect to hear from a commanding officer. And so it would require complete trust and faithfulness to that commanding officer in order for us to walk forward into that action plan. And so the truth that we find in this particular part of the story in the fall of Jericho is that victory is the fruit of obedience and complete trust. They had to trust God in terms of what he was saying to be able to follow through and not look like idiots in doing this particular campaign. And then on top of that, they had to be fully obedient to it in order for it to even come about. So obedience and complete trust bear the fruit of victory. But it is equally true that defeat is the fruit of disobedience and self-reliance. And really what I want to show you here is a comparison between the defeat of Jericho and the story of the defeat of Israel to a city called Ai, if I'm, saying that, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and then to the ultimate defeat of Ai. And here's what I mean. Uh, in Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. So we have this rule, right, that, that Israel is not supposed to take anything from uh, Jericho for themselves in terms of the plunder, that all of those valuable things are to be kept into the storehouse for the Lord, not in for personal gain. And so in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, we, we find that there is a story of a guy by the name of Achan. And it says this, verses 1 and 2 from chapter 7. But, Israel, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, the things that were to be set apart for the Lord's treasury. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And so what we find here in the story is that Joshua sends men from the camp at Jericho to spy on the Canaanite city of Ai east of Bethel, near Beth-Avon, which actually means house of iniquity. I don't know who names these cities, but you got to know that if your city is called the house of iniquity, it's probably not going to last long. And so Israel, what we find in the story, uh, becomes very, very self-confident. When the spies returned, they told Joshua in Joshua chapter 7, verse 3, that they would not need the whole army. Now, up until this point, God sends everybody. And the, these spies come back and say, hey, you know what? We're pretty good. We don't need everybody to come with us. We only need about two, 3,000 to conquer this city. And so they relied on their own ability. They relied on their own um, ingenuity, all of that kind of stuff. It was self-driven. And you begin to wonder, where did this presumption come from, right? Like, what had Israel done to defeat Jericho? Like, what did they do? Well, they did one thing. One thing only. They obeyed. When God said march, they marched, and then the walls came down. It was not Joshua's leadership. It was not Israel's military prowess that won the battle. It was God's power. But now, Israel was taking credit for what God had done. A mighty army like ours, having just defeated Jericho, will find little challenge against I. And so remember this. This is critical. In the power of God, no enemy is too big. You hear me? In the power of God, no enemy is too big. That's what we find in the breaking of the walls of Jericho. And these, these walls were enormous 
obstacles to overcome. And so in the power of God, no enemy is too big. In, uh, in the New Testament, we'll read it this way. It says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, right? Like there is no enemy that is too big when it comes to the power of God. But it is equally true that in the power of self, you ready? No enemy is too small. In the power of self, no enemy is too small. We can be defeated by the tiniest thing. Anything in this world, if we trust in ourselves and rely on our own power, we can be defeated. And those who trust in Jesus will never be disappointed. But those of us who trust in ourselves will be absolutely amazed at our own ability to fail. In the tiniest of things. And so what we find here is that Israel was disobedient. Achan had sinned against God, taking the spoils of Jericho against the command of God. And Israel had sinned against God and would not bless them until the sin was dealt with. And so today, I want us to think about, think that, sorry, today, we want to think that God has changed his mind on this. We, we actually uh, seemingly live life as if we expect that God's going to bless us, whether we're obedient or disobedient. In other words, we think that God will bless our sin. And we are very mistaken. You catch that? We, we actually live life as if we think God's going to bless our sin. And I just want us to know that we are gravely mistaken by that. God is not going to bless our sin in any way, shape, or form. God's love and grace, like it's eternal and it's unrelated to any effort from us. But His favor, His blessings... His activity in our lives come to those who submit and walk under the Lordship of Jesus. That's what happens. And so the result of Achan's sin, we find and we read in the, in the story in Joshua chapter 7, verse 3 to 12, is that Israel is defeated. The first Israelite attack on Ai fails because of Achan's sin. As a matter of fact, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 11, it says this. I'm going to turn the page. Here we go. Joshua chapter 7, verse 11. Here's what it says. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them in their own possessions. So the sins of a few can have a powerful effect on the force of the collective. The Israelites glowing with their victory over Jericho, right? Like they were super pumped about this victory. And as, as they should be, they were excited. Look what God had done. But they were soundly defeated by a weaker city. And the reason was that Israel had committed a trespass. I mean, no, like not everyone in Israel did this. But it's amazing to me that one man's household was able to have that kind of impact on the entire nation. Achan kept for himself some of the plunder that was captured in Jericho, all of which was to be devoted to God. So this was God's stuff Achan essentially stole. And God was approached by Joshua, and Joshua was pleading with him to find out kind of what is going on here. What happened? Why did we fail? Why did we lose to I? And the collective guilt was revealed to him in Joshua chapter 7 verses 10 to 12. And so he learns of this. And we may ask ourselves questions like, well, why should the sin of one man cause the downfall of a whole nation? 
Oh, you know what? The truth is, is that there are some things in the scriptures that are a little bit mysterious to us. But one of the things we could conclude is that um, God used this event to display how serious sin was to him and in the people of God. It was wrong for them to tolerate sin in their community. It was just wrong for them to tolerate sin. And so they got to rid their number of its influence before the conquest could succeed. This is what we learn in the passage. And so what we find then is that once having found out about Achan's sin, Joshua then takes action in Joshua chapter 7, verses 13 to 36. The Israelites repent of their sin. Uh, Achan is stoned to death in the valley of Achor. Um, this is a valley, uh, the valley of Achor, the meaning of it is the valley of trouble. And so what we find in this is that, is that when we see that there's sin in our midst and we're supposed to purge ourselves of it, uh, we, we learn that the Lord actually wants us to deal with sin very aggressively and to really remove it from ourselves as much as possible. And so what happens then is that after Israel repents and they purge themselves of the sin that was within the, the community, Israel then goes out, against, again, out again against Ai, and Ai is defeated. But the victory at Ai in Joshua 8 reveals a fatal flaw in Joshua's leadership in Joshua 7. Israel was self-confident. And in Joshua chapter 8, verses 1 to 27, the defenders are lured away from Ai, and the city is attacked and captured by a force of Israel who have hidden close by. In Joshua 8, 28 and 29, Joshua burns the city of Ai, which actually means uh, heap or ruin, and he makes a permanent heap of ruins. And the site of Ai, we, we actually don't know where it is, uh, but we do know is that it was likely destroyed around 1400 BC. So Joshua's strict obedience to God is a crucial lesson from this story. At every turn, Joshua did exactly as he was told, and the Israelites prospered under his leadership. And Joshua followed the right leader. And the ongoing theme in the Old Testament is that when Israel obeyed, they did well. When Israel disobeyed, there were consequences, and they were bad. This is the pattern. And so what we learn then is that it, the truth is, is that the battle is in fact won when you follow the right one. Moses' apprentice Joshua learned firsthand that he wouldn't always understand God's ways. In the same way that we just don't always, we just don't always understand what God is doing. We don't understand what he's, all, what he's planning and, and sometimes things just seem ambiguous to us. But human nature Sometimes made human nature sometimes made Joshua want to question God's plans, but instead he chose to obey and watch what happened. Joshua is an excellent example of humility before God. And the same is true for us today. If we follow the right leader with the right plan, we are assured of victory in that area of life. Now, if we get this, if we understand this and internalize this, we're going to have more confidence in facing the battles in life. We're going to become less insecure about life's outcomes. And we're going to have a vibrant faith experience where we sense God's presence. And that's going to be a theme throughout this entire study. We're going to have confidence. There's going to be less insecurity. We're going to sense God's presence. When we live outside this principle, we become overwhelmed and we become defeated every time. So here's what I believe the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to take hold of something in our lives this week 
that we know he does not want in our lives and get rid of it and be harsh with it. Be aggressive with it. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, uh, sorry, Matthew 5, verse 29 to 30, if your right eye causes you to stumble, ready? Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The battle is won when you follow the right one. And so what we find in this pattern, we have these two battles, essentially, these two cities, really. You have the city of Jericho that was easily overcome when there was absolute trust in God, right? An absolute trust in God and a complete obedience to Him. Those, those walls came crumbling down. But when it came to the city of Ai, what happened there is that there was disobedience, there was sin in the camp, and as a result of that, there was an inability for them to conquer that which was in front of them. And they also leaned in on their own strength. So the truth then is, is that when we want victory in life, we need obedience and complete trust. When we are disobedient and we have self-reliance, we're going to have defeat. When we're obedient and complete trust, we will have victory. When you follow the right one, the battle is won. So my encouragement to you is follow the right one. And so this week, here's what we need to do. We're going to take one thing in our lives and be incredibly aggressive with it. Jesus tells us to gouge out the eye, throw it away. Cut off the hand, throw it away. Be aggressive with whatever that sin is in your life so that you can be properly obedient and have complete trust in the Lord. You will have victory because that is the fruit of what it means when we want this battle to be over. The battle is won when we follow the right one. Let us be the people who, like Joshua and the Israelites, conquering Jericho, are completely trusting the Lord and are obedient to Him, and not be like the Israelites when they sin against the Lord and they fall victim to the defeat of I. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. I do thank you that you want us to have victory over sin in our lives. And I pray, Jesus, that as we are this week looking into our lives and saying there is this thing that we want to get rid of, we want to gouge it out, we want to cut it off, we want to throw it away and have nothing more to do with it, Jesus, would you help us to have the strength and conviction to do so, that we would trust you and be obedient to you so we can have victory in that area of our lives. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen.